This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator, the 12-week program for copywriters who want to learn the business skills they need to succeed. Learn more at thecopywriteraccelerator.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 182 as we chat with SaaS copywriter Rachel Pilcher about working with software clients, the investments she's made in her business that have paid off, what she learned from her brick and mortar businesses, and what it's like to work and travel for months at a time. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you here. It's great to have you in a time zone near me, selfishly. I just feel like you're near me finally because you're traveling all over the place, which I know we'll talk about. Um, But yeah, we've just really enjoyed getting to know you through the think tank over the last year. And I just feel like you're one of those people that is just always, you're just like cool. You're just always cool. And we're not, when we're not around you, the think tank, we're all talking about just how you live a very cool life and you've done very well in your business and built this really interesting brand that stands out and you've done it in a short period of time. So we're going to talk about the cool factor today, but let's kick it off with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter? Well, it was kind of accidental, actually. I was, um, I'd sold my business and I'd sold my classic car as well. So I had quite a bit of money saved up and I just wanted to travel because I hadn't really done that. So um, travel, 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 and then obviously started running out of money. So um, it's like, what can I do to keep traveling and, um, you know, and also have some money coming in? And I think I just Googled and Googled and I came across, you know, uh, it was actually Nomadic Matt's traveling blog course, embarrassingly enough. And so I took that and that was actually really good. And it told you how to set up a WordPress website, how to find clients and things like that. And it didn't end up being travel writing. But the more I got into that um, scene and found I could actually get paper writing, I sort of stumbled across the Facebook group and you guys and it went from there. Yeah. So how did you find your first clients, Rachel, as you set up your website and got going? Like, What did you do to find clients as you were kicking off? Yeah, I set up a really, really crappy website. Um, on WordPress. And then I think I went through pro blogger job board was the first job I got. And it was an $80 US post. I can't remember what it was about. Something to do with pets and business or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit random, but you know, they gave me the job and then I got another one off the same board, which was just marketing stuff. And yeah, it kind of snowballed from there quite quickly. So when when did you get into copy? Like just time-wise, you were traveling, you ran out of money and you're like, cool, copywriting, I'm going to do it. Is that a, what year was that roughly? That was kind of the end of 2016, 2017. I'm not sure, but I wasn't taking it seriously. It was just a bit coming in here and there. And I wasn't sure it was anything I could make a proper living out of at that time. Okay. All right. Great. And I'd love to hear about pre-copywriting running your brick and mortar businesses. Can you tell us more about like, what did those businesses look like? What did you learn? What lessons did you learn from that time running that business? Okay. So this is my little shop. It was my, I always wanted a shop. It was something um, as a kid, you know, you just want to play shop and have your own um, little store that you open in the morning and, you know, um, next to a cafe. So you can just pop next door and have coffees. And it was all this nice little dream. And um, 
they kind of achieved that, but it didn't look like that. It was actually really stressful. Um, and um, juggling finances, there were really, really lean days. Um, and, and that was quite difficult to get through and just make a living on that and pay all the shop overheads and everything. I sold mostly summer clothing because it was a 1950s themed store. And apparently in the 1950s, there was no winter back then. So it was all like, uh, really summer dresses and parasols and blouses. So yeah, um, there were definitely difficult times there, but it taught me a lot about how to sell to different types of people, um, um, selling nicely and authentically, not being pushy about things, even when money was tight. Um, and it told me how to market effectively as well, because Facebook wasn't really a thing when I started. So I was on the street pasting up flyers and um using emails to people that I knew and just uh, advertising in little street magazines, things like that, just really trying to get creative with how I marketed and how I got people to come to the shop, which was a bit out of the city as well. So, yeah. So was there anything that happened that was a catalyst for deciding to move on and to sell the shop, or was it just that you wanted to travel? Um, I'd been doing it for about 10 years by the time I decided to sell it. I had the shop for, I had two shops actually, and that was about four years between both shops, and I was just feeling burnt out and I didn't want to see any more polka dots or cherry prints again. <laughs> I was going crazy. So yeah, it was just time to go. And one of my lovely customers really wanted to buy it. So um, it was the perfect time to leave. Again. Okay. So then from 2000, end of 2016, roughly starting a copywriting career, um, where are you today? Can you just give us an idea of what your business looks like today, who you work with, what type of projects you work on? Okay. So I'm fully committed to the SAS um, industry at the moment. I think that was a really good move for me to just niche down into that. It's quite scary feeling just committing to one industry, but um, it's, a, it's a really wide industry. And I think there's room to sub-niche further because SAS covers absolutely everything you can think of now. There's just so many products and I think there's a good fit for anyone. No matter what you're doing, there'll be something that you can um, find that you like within that um, SAS model. So yep, I'm just doing that and a bit of B2B work and some agency work. And uh, it's all going really well. I'm, I used to work a lot for startups, but I'm finding myself going for more established funded companies now, which I'm liking a bit better. So as you know, I listened to you to answer that question, you're saying everything's going really well now, but it seems like, you know, starting out with a couple of posts from, you know, pro blogger or, you know, job boards to where you are now, there's been quite a transition. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's been really patchy. And I think a lot of that was um, hating my website and I, I didn't really want to show any clients there because I was really embarrassed about it but and, and it was kind of patchy and it didn't really tell them who I was or exactly what I did or what my process was so I always had trouble communicating that to clients I wanted to work with so once I had that more solidified in my own mind I could kind of put that down in my website and then communicate it to them a bit easier um, otherwise I just found myself floundering on sales calls losing projects and just scrapping work and it was a bit uh, difficult. So when you look at that transition stage from just getting started to where you are today, what were some of the pivotal moves during that time? So it definitely sounds like launching your new website and brand, which we'll, we'll talk about, but what else did you do? Niching was another one you mentioned. Um, what else did you do during that time that really helped you move forward? Um, I think I really just started to avidly follow people that were ahead of me in the SaaS industry so I could see how they were working and what their processes were and, you know, parts of their business that they were, had struggled with and, the, and their advice. And there's lots of advice out there from like Josh Garofalo, we see Joel Klecki, Joanna Weave, and they're all in that sort of SaaS industry. And there's a lot of stuff that they're publishing and talking about that I was just following 
following, following, and um, yeah, really just taking their advice and working on it actively for my own business. So can we go a little deeper on that? Like, tell us about your processes and, you know, from the time that you take on a client through delivery, what does that process look like? Um, I think it's probably pretty standard for conversion copywriters. We, um, we just start with doing discovery with the client, be interviewing their customers and surveying them and then doing review mining and then talking to their team if they've got a sales support sort of, um, people and other stakeholders, just talking to them about the problems and uh, pains that they're having trouble with and yeah just really sort of digging into as much as possible that we can use to put in the copy for emails and websites which is my focus at the moment and now that you've been in SaaS for a couple of years and you understand the space better um, what do you wish you had known before getting into SaaS or as you had just decided okay I'm going to niche down in SaaS what do you wish you had known that would have saved you some troubles and challenges along the way that might even be advice you'd give to a newer copywriter going into SaaS today? Um, I think I really like the startup industry because it's really fast paced and it's fun and it's exciting and, and people are really stoked about building their product and getting um, lots of customers and reaching their own budget goals. But there's often not a lot of budget for the copywriter. So <laughs> it was kind of a struggle getting the money I needed for a project, which takes a lot of time. It's sort of um, six to eight weeks it can take to get all the information and, and get the copy wireframed and written and edited and you know the money that the startups can pay is sometimes not enough to get you by that space of time so once I started aiming for a little bigger projects and more established companies it got a bit easier so yeah but I think I think starting with startups is good because you know a good groundwork everyone's learning and growing at the same time it's a bit of a double-edged sword that <laughs> How do you avoid those clients potentially now that you know, okay, I need to work with this certain type of client who can actually pay me on time? Um, what is, that is the challenge in that space. So what is, what is your vetting process look like? And what, do you, what are some red flags that you try to avoid now when you're looking at a potential client? Um, okay, I avoid people that say, they try and talk me down on my proposal. I, I think I've had trouble in the past when someone says, well, you know, you said you want to, charge 5,000, we'll give you 3,000 and you've got the project. And it's really about just saying no then because they're going to talk you down in other areas. And um, I just found those clients really difficult. So saying no has been a big one this year. And um, also clients that know everything about their customer already, like they don't really want the research. They, they just know everything. They can tell you everything you need to write. <laughs> I find those are also huge red flags for me. <laughs> yeah, because usually they don't know anything and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, those clients drive all of us crazy, I think. So one of the, one of the things that you mentioned as you've grown your business is um, you were embarrassed by your old website. You finally got a new website. And I've got to say, I love your website. There's so many cool things about it. And it's it, when you click to uh, Mighty Fine Copy, it, it's engaging. You're like watching different things move, all of the, the cool things that you've got on there. And you've got also your framework laid out and, and the theme. We talk about just building the website, the process, you know, what you went through to identify how the, the um, graphic design and the copy direction and how that's impacted your business. Yeah, I'm glad you like the website, Rob. Um, I actually installed Hotjar on there and just curious to see how people were moving around the website. And everyone does the same thing. They click on their homepage, scroll down to Godzilla and just go up and down on that for a little while. And um, then move yeah. up. So that was quite <laughs> interesting. Um, he's got uh, googly eyes now that move with the mouse pointer. Um, so you should check that out. That was my New Year's upgrade. I'm looking at him right now. This is, it is cool. <laughs> yeah, play with his eyes. Have fun. 
Yeah, so I wanted something that felt a bit more me. And through the think tank, um, I think he really pushed all my buttons and just got me to um, bring my me out a lot more than than I was. I wanted to kind of play it safe because I didn't want to turn any clients away. But I think what has happened is that I've turned the way the clients I didn't want to work with anyway. And I've got the people that kind of get it and understand. And um, they're also looking at the copy and what's in there and the process and it, that makes sense to them um, and my target uh, client base. So yeah. It's been fun actually working on that, but but daunting and a bit scary. <laughs> and it was, if I hadn't, if I hadn't been in the think tank, I don't think I would have done that. I probably would have just struggled along with my own built thing and been suffering. Yeah, I'm just wondering what advice you give to someone else who might feel that same way and isn't in a think tank or a mastermind group and is just thinking is playing it safe and feels like that is the right move. Uh, what advice would you give to them? Well, I know people that are doing quite well without websites, but I think if you've got like a, a homemade job and you're always thinking, oh, maybe I should just pay someone to, you know, give me a really professional look and um, so I can attract higher quality clients, I think, do it. But I think put a lot of thought into it. It shouldn't be something that you rush into. Like this website took about eight months from start to finish and the first kind of ideation I put together, I sat on it for about three months and I didn't like it at all after that. So. I think if you're getting a designer, you need to be honest with them about if you don't like it, just say you don't like it because you don't want to be stuck with something that you've paid thousands of dollars for. And at the end of the day, it's still not really you, I think. Yeah, it's really important to communicate with a designer and, and have everything solidified in your own mind before you push the button and pay and get that rolling. So one of the things that I love about your website is that it is so not like any other SaaS copywriter's website. You know, you're, you're not standing there. Your, your profile isn't you standing in a blue shirt. You know, it doesn't talk about, you know, the, the necessarily, uh, you know, your expertise in SaaS. I mean, it's, it's colorful. It's fun. It, there's so much personality that comes out in that. And obviously that was intentional. But, you know, what has the reaction been from clients that maybe are a little bit more staid and conservative and, and you know, when they see your website, is, is it um, a hiccup in the process or does it actually help? I think I don't actually hear it all from those people. I think they probably click on it and go, what? <laughs> and, then, and then go and talk to someone else. But everyone um, that's come to me as a client or a lead that's come through the website or that I've referred to check out the website has, has come back and really loved it. And they do go on and on about just how they love the copy and they love how everything's clearly laid out in terms of framework and my processes and, you know, exactly how I work personally. Yeah, it's been super positive from pretty much everyone. So can we go into your framework just a little bit? So I know you spent a lot of time developing that. Uh, it's illustrated beautifully on your website, like I mentioned before. Um, tell us about the Snacks framework and what, how you use that as you attract clients to your business. Okay, well, to start off with, I had no idea what a framework was. <laughs> and even after a few months in the think tank, I still didn't know what a framework was. But I knew it tied in with process somehow. So um, I think Mikey Tsang described it really nicely as, you know, uh, the framework. Oh, how does she put it? The framework is like the candy wrapper and the process is like the candy inside the wrapper. Of, and that, I don't know, the way she described it suddenly clicked in my brain. I was like, great. It is just my process. You know, I have to lay it out and just kind of, describe that and put it in a little package so that um, people can easily understand how I work step by step and why that's important. And that's really stopped uh, me having to explain this on sales calls every time just because it's laid out nicely and clearly on the website for people. 
because I was really sick of explaining exactly what I do. <laughs> it was just tedious. <laughs> and what do you, and can you just share what you call your framework? Um, that's the snacks framework. And if you go to the website and have a look, it's like a kind of a, an animated exploding sandwich. So it really starts with like the foundation of a sandwich is your first layer of bread, obviously, which is your discovery and um, customer analysis. And then everything builds on top of that until you get a nice sandwich. Because if you're missing any of those pieces, um, you're going to have a shitty sandwich. Right. Yeah. And if you go to the website, you will be hungry. You will get hungry fast looking at this sandwich. It looks delicious. Um, so what? How could you walk through how to develop a framework? I know you're not necessarily teaching frameworks, but how did you do it once you realized, oh, this is what a framework is? How did you figure out what to call it and think about it and approach it so that it worked for you? Um, I basically just started with lots and lots of paper and pen work and wrote down my process in detail, like exactly what I do. And then I try to um, just basically find a letter that fit in, in with that and, and make a word around it because that's the easiest way I knew to build a framework. And I was sort of tinkering around with um, burger and food and things like that. It didn't really didn't really work. And then I don't know what happened, but snacks just popped into my mind at about 4 a.m. in the morning and I rolled with that and it worked really nicely. <laughs> yeah. And um, it kind of worked in with the rest of the branding on the website as well. So it seemed like a good fit. And the hardest thing for so many of us is to pull, put ourselves in our brand. And you mentioned that that was a struggle for you early on. You didn't like it. It didn't feel like you. So how did you work through that and start to pull in pieces of you into the brand? Um, were you working with your designer on that piece of it? Uh, were there any exercises that helped you along the way? Because this, again, this is something that we all struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to actually see yourself and then see yourself as how you want other people to see you. It's quite a balance that needs to be struck. But um, obviously, get a good designer that can take your very fragmented ideas and put them into something cohesive. What I did was I built a Pinterest board as soon as I started thinking about a new website. So I had a board for just stuff I liked, like random things like cartoons and adventure time and monster movies and um, I don't know things like that. And another one was more for interior design and other people's websites and things like that. So by the time I came to the actual design phase, I just shared that with the designer and they can kind of get a really good feel for things I liked and colors I liked and designs I liked. And I think that was super helpful. And I definitely recommend that as a good start to your process. So what's the before and after with your website? You know, you, you again, you mentioned the old website that you were embarrassed to show. You've now got this awesome website that not only can you show off, but anybody who goes here is going to show it to their friends because you know there's just so much going on and it's such a cool site. But what has that done for your business? Um, it has helped me get higher caliber clients for sure. Um, it just makes me look more professional and uh, like I, I know what I'm doing, which is kind of what I wanted to convey. <laughs> so it's definitely paid off in that sense, I think. And the words got out there and people are just kind of coming to me yeah, from referrals a lot more than they used to. And I think I'm on the first page of Google now as well, just because so many people I think have been to the site. And it's really helpful. The first page, the first page of Google for what? Um, B2B SaaS copywriter. Wow. I think it is. Yeah. That's impressive. Fluctuates between one and two, but I'm pretty, pretty pleased with that. And that happened quite quickly as well. So, yeah. And how has, um, how have your prices and your rates and even just your financial, your income, how has that changed since you invested in the website and your brand and spent almost a year working on it? It's just definitely improved. I've crossed my, I've sauntered casually across my 
finish line for the goals that I set for this year, which has been super amazing. But that's really um, a think tank thing as well, and just really networking and talking with other copywriters to get you know tips and tricks and lots and lots of advice. So I couldn't say that was purely because of the website that that's happened. Yeah, just more smart thinking and and processes that I'm using. So another of the things that you mentioned that has helped your business move forward was choosing a niche. And I know we touched on this a little bit, but uh, I'm curious about the process that you went through as you were thinking through the various niches that you could do, because I know you've got a legal background. Obviously, you worked in retail, and so you have a bit of a fashion background. Uh, You love to travel. So you've got all of these uh, variety of things that you could have drawn from your background, but you chose SaaS. We talk a little bit about the process that you went through as you decided on SaaS as your niche and you know how you went about positioning yourself for that market. That was also an accident. Um, <laughs> I was doing some agency work and um, I was mostly writing about sort of marketing copy and I don't know, A-B testing and things like that. And then they were giving me some other projects and I had no idea what SaaS was. And then I realized I was actually doing it. So that seemed like a no-brainer to keep doing that because I found it really easy and interesting. Yeah, I didn't want to do legal and travel is really difficult to kind of get into that um, the niche where you actually get paid while it's super competitive. So that was a no. And fashion, yeah, also same thing. I, wasn't, I didn't really want to go and write about that again. So yeah, so as it was. And then I found out that was actually a really popular um, growth industry. So it seemed like a good place to stay in. Well, you mentioned... Um that you it wasn't just your website that helped you take your business to the next level. You pulled, learned tricks and strategies from fellow think tank members. Can you share some of the specifics, like what you learned and pulled from that community? Um, I spend a lot of time listening to, um, obviously the podcasts that you guys put out, which are really helpful. And there's such a broad cross section of people. You just pull little bits and pieces from that, that you need. So it could be things like, um, how to, you know, better proposals and how to run a better sales call and uh, mindset training as well is really important. That's been super helpful this year. I just get over myself a lot. Yeah, just um, little just little bits and pieces you can always just pick up. But. So, and I, I'm not sure if you met Kira before last year, but the first time I met you was uh, in Brooklyn this past year, um, hanging out at the uh, event that we threw. And you kind of show up for these kinds of things. You, you know, you've invested in yourself you're at the event, you've invested in our mastermind, but you've done things uh, to really move yourself forward. Will you talk about maybe your mindset and your philosophy around you know, what you choose to do, uh, where you go to learn, those kinds of things? Yeah, I, th- I think I should have invested in my business sooner and more because once I started doing that, things really picked up and it's like kind of invest in things to meet the people and um, interact with the people as much as learning the actual copy and business side of things I think networking and getting mentoring and just um yeah just interacting with people in the same field is so so valuable I'm more than happy to invest in that I feel like my family just says I'm throwing my money away <laughs> I don't feel that at all <laughs> I feel like stop flying stop flying to these things like what do you actually get out of it and I think I get so much and it's just so so valuable I'm going to keep doing it <laughs> let's talk about your proposals, you mentioned, you know, your sales game has changed, proposals have changed. We've talked a little bit about this. I know when Nigel, who's also been on our podcast, presented at the Think Tank retreat, you took that really seriously and you started implementing a lot of what he shared about value-based pricing in your own business. 
Um, which again, is like a side note, I think why you've been so successful because you take these bits and pieces and you actually implement it. Um, but anyway, to back up, how have you used value-based pricing or even just um, anything new you've learned around proposals and pricing in your proposals today? And um, how has that changed the way uh, your, the, how efficient and effective your proposals are? Um, yeah, Nigel's talk was amazing. And because he's kind of in the SaaS field as well, I really just sat there and soaked up everything he said like a little sponge. And then I had a, a call maybe like a week after that. And I just written all these notes and I just put everything that he'd said into that. And um, I got that signed off straight away. And it was for, uh, it was my highest paid email project ever. And it's like, damn, that worked. <laughs> and it's always quite a surprise when stuff works like that straight away. But I do think it's really important if you're gathering all these. Um, little pieces of knowledge that you do implement because otherwise um, what's the point you actually need to see that change in your business and it, you know have it work for you to get it sink in so what Nigel taught was the value-based pricing when you put your proposal together you have um, three tiers so one two and three and these have all got slightly different deliverables and pricing tiers and um, it was really helpful because before that I was just giving one price and um, was either a yes or a no whereas having three options and anchoring option two as the one that you want the client to pick up on because that's the price point that you kind of want to work at and the deliverables you want to work at has been great and usually works perfectly um, and gets signed off. I think my close rate is like 90% at the moment. So I'm pretty happy with that because usually it was uh, terrible. So nailing your proposals, actually treating them like a more of a persuasive sales letter and treating them more like a challenge and um, making them a bit more fun. Like it's kind of, not gamified it in my mind, but it's definitely made it less fear and loathing when it comes to proposal time. When you say make it more fun, what do you mean by that? I think that's a mindset thing as well. Like it used to be like, oh, you know, proposal, and it would take me days to put one together just because I hated it. But just um, framing it differently in my own mind has made it more of a, a fun challenge. And sometimes I know that I'm competing against maybe, you know, five or six other of my peers. So it's like, oh, what can I do? You know, get that project over them. What can I say? What can I put in there that the client will be like, yeah, you know, we want you. Treat it more as a personal challenge. Yeah, well, it's clearly it's it's working too. Um, how do you view your pricing now that you've got your new website and you've figured out how to um, craft your proposal? Do you have a process for your rates and when you raise your rates or do you just kind of feel it out as you go along? I think I should raise my rates more for the level that I'm at and just the amount of work that I put in. But it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard sort of finding your value. But I think being in the think tank and just being pushed along by, you know, put your prices up, you're too cheap, has helped a lot. And it's just helped me value the work I do and the time I put in a lot more. But I still think they could go up a bit more. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. So we've talked about some of these amazing things that you've done and the way that you've transitioned your business. Can we maybe talk about a mistake or two, something that you failed at? Like what is the biggest mistake that you've made as you've gone through this entire process? Not getting mentoring sooner. I was always afraid to get any sort of mentoring because I didn't want to be told that it sucked and maybe you should go, go, and, go and work at a gas station or something instead. But there's always that kind of fear that someone's going to smite you down and, and you're just going to run away into the distance and never be seen again but honestly mentoring is is great and if you can find someone to help with that early on that's um bonus i feel i wasted a couple of years by just not getting help and not networking and trying to do everything myself so it's not really a failure but it's something i kind of look back and think yeah i wish i'd got help with that sooner something that we hear a lot of copywriters yeah, say yeah 
it's super important. In terms of client failures, I haven't really had any. I've had a recent one where that was just a time zone problem. And they knew I was in New Zealand and it was time to do the client interviews. And I opened up my calendar from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. And they're like, that's not good enough because our clients won't want to talk to you. You know, can you open it up till late 3 a.m.? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I had to just hand that over to another copywriter because it's obviously not going to work out between us. That's about it. Most of my clients have been pretty awesome. Any other struggles? We really want to hear some more. Anything else that just was hard and surprising along the way that you didn't expect? Um, hard is probably the still the lead gen thing for me. I think I, I just need to do a lot of work on authority building and things as we all do. Yeah. And how do you market yourself? What What are you focused on right now? Um, so I'm trying to hang out where other copywriters don't hang out. So obviously I can't talk to you about it. Um, <laughs> I'm in a few kind of paid, paid We're going to follow you. We're all following you. But I sort of um, noticed the places that are quite saturated with people um, scrabbling for work and, and you know, pitching for the same projects. And I think that's just quite tiring trying to compete all the time. So I'm trying to just find places where it's a bit easy to get clients and get work and get noticed and heard and referred. And that's a bit of a challenge, but um, that's kind of working for me at the moment, just trying to find those spaces where the work is. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> but I also use LinkedIn. LinkedIn is really great. Twitter is pretty cool. And um, yeah, Facebook groups as well. Very cool. So you mentioned that working with a client in New Zealand is a little difficult, um, which might be a little surprising because you're also from New Zealand, but it's because you travel so much. And I'm curious how you balance travel with work. When I've done that, you know, I'll, I'll work for a couple of hours, but the uh, temptation to go out and see the sites or to go sit on the beach is overwhelming. So how do you do that? Um, I treat those things like like a treat. So I've done my work. Now I can go and sit on the beach for an hour, have a beer or a snack or whatever, and then you know it's back to work time. It's it's kind of nice to be in a, a different place where there's stuff to explore. But yeah, I do understand that that challenge you're always thinking, you know, I'd really like to go and explore those ruins or just go for a swim or go shopping or something like that. Yeah, it's a juggle and it's stressful. And the time zone thing is as a challenge and the wife I think is definitely a challenge but um it's it's rewarding in its own way so when you're traveling do you have a set schedule to kind of keep you focused where you're a, you're a morning person and you just bust it out in the mornings you have the afternoon to explore does it really depend on where you are where you are and your um, project load too I'm not a morning person at all <laughs> I probably, probably just uh, have a relaxing morning and have breakfast and then I kind of get started maybe 10 30 and I'd rather work later and then I just take take one or two days off during the week, just full days where I shut the laptop and um, recharge and explore it. And that because I find it quite hard to split the days in half. Just it's a bit much to do that. So share with us a few of the places that you've been. We know we, we connected with you in Barcelona. Uh, you were in Brooklyn a year ago at our event. And I know you're coming to San Diego, or at least I believe you're coming to San Diego for the event this year. Um, but where else have you been in between? Bali for the running remote conference this year as well, which was really fun. And I met lots of kind of SaaS founders and marketers there, which was an amazing little event right on the beach too, which was pretty sweet. Yeah. So I've sort of traveled Finland, Romania, Egypt, um, London. I think I stayed in for two days because it was so expensive. Uh, and then I was out, but I really enjoy working from places that are quite warm, cheap and have good food. That's really my requirements. Oh, fast Wi-Fi. And how long do you have a certain amount of time? You're usually in one location before you feel the itch or you, you move on to the next location? I think from, well, New Zealand, 
we can sort of get three months everywhere and then we need to move again just because of the visa thing or you need to be flying in and out which I find is a huge okay. pain so in Mexico now I think we get six months um, before we need to leave so that's pretty handy it's nicer to stay as long as you can because moving around is just a huge productivity killer and our time suck and money suck so yeah the longer you can stay in one place is is ideal and I want to hear about your craziest work desk situation because you've posted you post some pictures on Twitter at least you talk about it on Twitter and you've posted pictures in the think tank group too but you've had some crazy desk situations where you're like working on a toilet or next to the toilet so can you just share one or two that come to mind where you're like I can't believe like this does not feel professional but I'm gonna make it work yep the first one was in a Land Rover and it was in Karatu and it was just raining and it's muddy and I had gumboots on and I had a blog deadline to get in and I was just sitting in the front of the Land Rover in the rain typing away and they actually had really good wi-fi there for surprising reason um so that was fun but the last one was in Chiang Mai and that was the digital nomad hub you know everyone is there just checked into this quite cheap little hotel space you know laptop space suitable for working great wi-fi and I got there and it was just like a chair at the bathroom vanity next to the toilet which was amazing <laughs> so yeah that was the one I took a photo of for twitter because honestly crazy stuff like that so what is the biggest challenge that you've had as you've traveled um again knowing you've mentioned a couple of things that have made it a little bit difficult but uh is there anything that just jumps out as the biggest thing the biggest hurdle it's definitely the wi-fi situation and I wish um you know I wish remote work didn't rely on that but it does 100 percent. so there's been a lot of um, moving around and um, running out to co-working spaces like early hours of the morning just to make that client call and get the interviews and things like that for customers so that's quite a challenge that'd be my number one challenge i think so where do you go from here i mean you've got this business that's supporting your lifestyle you're traveling it seems like you know you you've got a fantastic life and doing what you want but what does what are you doing with mighty fine copy in 2020 huh <laughs> i haven't quite figured it out because we're only a couple of weeks in but um obviously i'd like to bump up my revenue goals but also i really just seek to find a balance like i really want to find my enough and i think I think this level is it, but obviously you just still want to strive for that little bit extra, but I'm not sure what that extra is at the moment. I think clients that pay a bit more, but I don't want to be doing more work because um, my workload is, is good now. I like the manageability of everything as it is. I don't want to be kind of stagnant at where I am, but I haven't quite figured out where I'm going this year. That makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Yeah. And as you look back over what you've accomplished over the last year or two, what would you say is the biggest game changer for you? Oh, just having more faith in myself and my abilities, um, getting over myself. I've taken Linda Perry's mindset course. I'm in her little mindset program, so I get her monthly meditations and worksheets to work through and think about. And that's been really helpful to just um, get past a lot of my blocks. I've got bad blocks with sort of money overwhelm. I tend to take on way too much work and just um, burn out. This that horrible cycle. So yeah, just um, recommend that if anyone's having similar struggles. She's great. We've asked this question. I know, Rachel, you've heard us ask this question before on the show. Uh, but what does the future of copywriting look like to you? I hope it's not AI. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're not just work, working AI in the future. It'll just be copywriters behind that big AI system um, doing something completely different. I'm not really sure. I'd like to think it would go on as it is for quite a while yet. So maybe in our lifetime, it will still be the same as it is now. 
yeah, I don't know. It's a super interesting question. I haven't really put much thought into that, but I see people worrying about AI a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm hoping that our future of copywriting looks a little bit more like your past. That is that we can travel a little bit more while we write and and you know, see more of the world as we help our customers. Yeah, it's, um, we have that freedom. I think some people are a bit scared to do that because they don't know what it looks like or if it'll be too hard or if they'll run out of money, you know, in the middle of nowhere and be stuck somewhere horrible. There's, there's a lot to think about. But honestly, if you're thinking along those lines, just try it for a couple of weeks and see how you manage with that. Yeah, it's always worth it to just give it a shot. Yeah, that's what I love watching you as you grow in your business because you – you know, that is the perk of running an online business that you can do that. You have that freedom to do it. I think, you know, there are disadvantages to having an online business and dealing with the hard parts of it, but you know, how many people actually embrace that flexibility? Um, probably not as many as we would think. So it's fun to watch you do that and truly own this online business space that we're in. Um, so Rachel, where can copywriters find you if they're interested in checking out your incredible website and brand or they want to just connect with you and talk about SaaS? Where should they go? Connect with me anywhere. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter and at mightyfinecoffee.com. And I love talking to other writers about SaaS, especially the ones that are just thinking about getting into the niche or need some help or advice or anything like that. It's here. And you're in a lot of other secret places that you will not tell us about too. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we will find you. <laughs> Rachel, thank no. you so much for jumping in here with us and sharing more about your business growth and, and what you've done to get there too. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me on, Rob and Kira. Cheers. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.